like to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to join me in Romans chapter 15. We've been studying Romans chapter 15 for several weeks as the Apostle Paul shares with us his secret in a wholehearted pursuit of holiness over the course of his life. How he maintained a passion for the cause of Christ in spite of all of the persecution and the hardship that he endured is wrapped up, I believe, in this portion of his letter to a group of believers in Rome. And we're going to look at the concluding verses here, and I think he articulates his most hidden secret in remaining wholehearted in these verses. And I direct your attention to the 30th verse. If you don't have your Bible, these screens will have those verses so that you can know this is God's Word. Now... I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea and that my service, which I have for Jerusalem, may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now you may remember, and you probably forget, that in our last study, the Apostle Paul was writing to the believers in Rome concerning his travel itinerary. And it's not just data to be taken in. He was communicating to them his heart. In the verses that preceded this segment, he was saying to them, my heart's desire is to be at the center of what God is doing. And my passion is to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that is lost. And he said, I desire to go to Spain because I know there are people there who have never heard of Jesus. At this point in time, I have to go to Jerusalem because of the offering we have taken up in Macedonia that needs to be delivered there. And on my way to Spain, I desire to come to where you are in Rome so that I can be encouraged and encourage you. He was communicating to them the very burden of his heart. I want to go to Spain. I want to come to Rome. I have to go to Jerusalem. And now as he is concluding this 15th chapter, on the basis of what he has just said, in effect, he says, please pray for me. If you and I were able to sit down with the Apostle Paul and ask him, what is the secret behind the effectiveness of your ministry? How is it that you were able to go into cities dominated by darkness and sin, take the gospel to a few people and see groups of believers spring up and be shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. How is it that you were able, with such a spirit of peace and understanding, endure things like shipwreck and stonings and imprisonment and false treatment and liars. How were you able to do that? I think he would say to us, the secret integer was people praying for me. I do not think that we pray as we should. I do not think that we that are gathered in this room have the prayer life 
that we should have, and I believe largely it is because we do not understand nor comprehend the impact that prayer can have. I love what one commentator, he was a preacher, he lived a long time ago, so this may sound somewhat dated, but I love what he wrote. He said this, It is part of the genius of Christianity that any believer can become a warrior in the battle at any time and in any place and make his or her influence count to the ends of the earth and high in heavenly places simply by engaging in prayer. He went on and he said this, By praying, a believer can place himself in a canoe in the Amazon, in an igloo in the Arctic, in a tent in the Sahara, in a submarine at the bottom of the ocean, in a plane high in the stratosphere. He said he can ward off a missionary from the dangers in the jungle, diseases in the city, disasters on the deep. He can arm the missionary's witness with supernatural power, lift him from the slow of despond, rout the unseen foes that lurk in the spirit world and strengthen his hand in God. He concluded by saying, by praying in the spirit, the believer can conquer time and space and have a share in the battle. That's epic. That sounds like superhero activity. No doubt in my mind, prayer enables superhuman activity because we are engaged in the spiritual realm. The Apostle Paul had challenging ministry to carry out. The Apostle Paul was engaging in spiritual warfare on all sides, and he tells us about it, and the spiritual warfare that he was engaged in fell out into the practical world, and he was impeded in his communication of the gospel at every turn. And so more often than not, he would beg believers just like us to pray for him. Listen to what he wrote to the church at Ephesus. He said, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And get this, and pray for me. Pray for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. I don't know that any one of us who are students of the New Testament would wonder whether or not the Apostle Paul was courageous. I think every one of us would assume this is a courageous man. Certainly, after being stoned, he walked right back into the city and communicated the gospel again. And he did so fearlessly. This man sang praises in a jail cell. This man was bit by a serpent and shook it off. This man was calmly giving orders in the midst of a raging storm on the sea. And yet he says to us, my boldness did not come naturally. I'm asking you to pray that I would be enabled to speak the gospel boldly because it does not naturally come to me. I need the Spirit's help. He said to the believers at Corinth. And I love this phrase. Ye also helping together by prayer for us. He's telling these believers in Corinth that they are assisting in the most effective New Testament ministry that we encounter by engaging in prayer for him. He'll come back and he'll say to the believers in Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians 3, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. 
I said in the first service, I think that's the prayer of a pastor. Pray that I would be delivered from unreasonable people. And you laughed about as little as they did. That's my shot at humor. I'm just not funny. Pray that I would be delivered. That's his direct prayer. He is saying to them, do you comprehend the satanic attacks that come on us as we take the gospel to these unknown regions in the world. I am asking you to please pray for us because not everybody in the world believes like we believe. Pray that we would be delivered, that we would be rescued from wicked and unreasonable men who seek to squash our efforts. He wrote to the church at Philippi this, I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He said to them, I'm in bondage here. In fact, he'll write that letter to Philippi from a Roman prison and he will say to them, I know that even now while I am in bonds, this will turn in my favor because of your prayers for me. He wrote to the church at Colossae and he said to them, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. Paul was an incredible writer. Paul was highly educated. Paul was networked. Paul could speak multiple languages. We would probably imagine that ministry would come naturally and that it would come easy for the Apostle Paul. But in each of these individual instances, we hear him pleading for people to pray for him because he understands that a spiritual work cannot be done in a natural way, but a spiritual work must always be done in a spiritual way. It's not about personality. It's not about talent. It's not about network. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ working. And here is what he's communicating to us. The only way I could navigate ministry without quitting, in spite of all the challenges, and the only way that I could stay strong in my pursuit of holiness, Christ-likeness, was because God's people prayed for me and he wanted them to agonize with him in prayer. Did you note what he said in verse 30 now? Based on that travel itinerary, here's how you can participate. I'm asking you, I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Let's unpack the emotion just a little bit. Because emotion disappears in the pages, but I want you to sense what he is saying. He says, now, based on what I have just communicated to you, here is how you can participate. I beseech you. That is a very strong word. I am begging you. I am urgently sending out an SOS, and I am asking you to pray for me. Don't put this on the back burner. Don't forget this the moment you roll this letter back up. I am begging for you to engage in this travel with me by praying. And then he says, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit. Ultimately, what he is saying is this. I want you to pray that the Lord Jesus Christ would be glorified. Do you know that the Bible teaches that many times we don't have our prayers answered because we are asking amiss we are asking with the wrong end in mind. We are asking for an answer that we might consume it upon our own lusts. And the Apostle Paul is saying here, I'm not asking that you pray that people would know my name. 
I'm not asking that you pray that I might gain favor so that I can have freedom. I'm specifically asking you to pray that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ would be glorified. And I know you may not know me, and I know you may not have personal investment in me, but for the sake of the love of the Spirit which we share. The love that we have for one another as brethren because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Do you comprehend that you don't have to know somebody or know their whole story to pray for them with passion? If they are a believer and you are a believer, we have the love of the Spirit. And we may not even know to what end we are praying, but we can pray for the glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the core of our prayer life. I am begging you, Paul says. I am urgently sending out an SOS, and I am asking you to pray that the Lord Jesus Christ would be glorified. And you may not know me or feel invested in me, but love me like a brother in the bond of the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, and this is very vivid language. Strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Strive together with me. That is a word that depicts agony. Agonize with me. In fact, we can uncover that same Greek word when the Lord Jesus Christ is in the garden of Gethsemane and he is praying mere hours before the cross. He prays this in Luke twenty-two forty-four, and being in an agony, that's the same word, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. That's spiritual labor. Paul is not saying, what I want you to do is throw up a couple of heartless, short prayers for me. What he is saying is, I am asking you to agonize on my behalf. I am asking for you to join in the exertion of effort. And though you cannot be here to cover these miles, and though you will not be here to carry this load, I am asking you to spiritually labor with me in prayer. That's stunning. How many of you like the humid weather that we're in right now? I mean, life-sapping, oxygen-destroying, bug-releasing humidity. I, I, I don't care for it. I'm glad nobody else raised their hand. We're all miserable together. Not a one of us is a good Christian because we're supposed to be content, and all of you just said you're malcontents just like me. I was mowing the grass earlier this week, and it was hot. And it was like someone had taken a wet wool blanket and wrapped it around my head while I was mowing the grass because of the humidity. And I'm getting older. I'm not old. I'm getting older. That is a scientific fact. I'm thankful for it. The alternative's not great. As I was mowing, I was saying to myself, muttering under my breath, I'm not going to make it. I'm, I'm not going to make it. You wonder your whole life how it's going to end. And for me, this is it. Mowing in humidity. This is how it ends. I'm exhausted. I'm sweaty. I'm disgusting. Every bug known to man in the east side of the Mississippi is crawling on me. I walk into the house intentionally and I smell like a wet dog. It's gross. And I go near my wife and I stand there because what I want her to know is that I I'm working very hard. I want her to know that my life is probably more challenging than hers. Look at me. 
Look at me. I'm disgusting because I am exerting effort for your yard or your house. And I'll say to her, like, do you know how hard I'm working out there? Do you know how challenging this is? Do you know how hot and humid it is? And about five minutes into my rant, she'll pull her AirPods out and say, what? Oh, man, wasted opportunity. What am I doing in that moment? I am exerting effort. I am laboring. It is visible. It's tangible. I can sense it. And Paul is saying, I am begging you with the urgency of an SOS for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and for the love that you have for me as a brother in the Spirit. Agonize with me. Join into this effort with me by exerting yourself in spiritual labor. And when we begin to unpack the truth of scriptures, it shines a light on our prayer life and we realize how woefully short we actually fall. In fact, maybe we realize the impotence in the message of Jesus Christ that exists in our world is not because the truth has dimmed, but because we do not spiritually labor as we once did or should. I like the Apostle Paul is so specific. He's so pointed. He says, you need to pray for me. I want you to agonize with me. But he wants them to pray intentionally and intelligently. Notice what he says in verse 31. He gives three prayer requests in here. Each of them start with the word that. He says this in verse 31. Pray for me that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. And that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. And in verse 32, and pray for me that I may come unto you, believers there in Rome, with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. Paul believed in specific prayer. He didn't just believe in the God, good day, many blessings prayer. He wants intelligent and intentional prayer. And he says, here's what I'm asking you to pray for. Please pray for my safety. He says, pray that I would be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, because they are a problem. The apostle Paul's ministry was rife with danger. Mine is not, his was. When he asked for you to pray, to intercede, that he would be delivered, I want you to realize that word is rescued from certain death. I am asking that you would pray, spiritually labor, so that I would be rescued from certain death. Pray that I would be delivered from the non-believers in Judea because they want to destroy me. Do you remember that Agabus, the prophet, came down from Judea to where Paul was? And he took Paul's girdle and he bound his hands and he said, this is what's going to happen to the man whose girdle this is when he goes to Jerusalem. And the believers begged Paul, Paul, do you realize that God sent a prophet down here to say that if you go to Jerusalem, you are going to be bound? Paul says, I realize that and I'm ready to die at Jerusalem. But by the way, please pray for me that I would be rescued from certain death while I'm there. Now I referenced earlier, perhaps we don't pray effectively because we don't labor diligently. And sometimes we don't even attempt prayer because we do not realize how effective prayer actually is and that God answers it. Paul said to this group of believers in Rome, please pray that I would be delivered from the non-believers in Judea. And God directly answers that prayer. In fact, he is on his way to Jerusalem a little bit after this, with the offering from the people in Macedonia, and he makes it to Jerusalem. 
He's traveling with a man, a man named Trophimus, who is an Ephesian. Trophimus is a Gentile. He makes it to the city of Jerusalem, where, by the way, classism and racism was really amped up, and the Jews despised the Gentiles. And he's traveling with Trophimus, an Ephesian. And by the way, he's known as a Gentile to the, or a missionary to the Gentiles. He's not a very popular guy. And in Acts chapter 21, he arrives on the scene in Jerusalem with the offering. This is the trip he was telling us about in Romans 15. Listen to what the Bible says. Now the spiritual leaders come down and they see the apostle Paul and they begin to flip out. Acts 21 verse 28, crying out, men of Israel, help. Now that always makes me laugh because the apostle Paul was not physically imposing. This is an old man who is beaten down. And they're crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people and the law and this place, the temple. And further, he brought Greeks also into the temple and hath polluted this holy place. Now Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts, gives us the little parenthetical in verse 29. They're shouting, he's polluted the temple, for they had seen before with him in the city Trophimus, an Ephesian, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. They're not dealing with a lot of facts here. They're just emotionally wanting to destroy Paul. And all the city was moved. When the Bible uses a phrase like that, it is trying to communicate this was no small stir. This is not a small riot. This is a riotous scene. This is an enraged mob. All the city seemed to be moved against the apostles and together. And they took Paul and drew him out of the temple and forthwith the doors were shut. And as they went about to kill him, that's a Bible way of saying they are aiming to wipe him out, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band. Tidings make it back to the barracks of the Roman Praetorian Guard. Hey, uh, you guys might want to move down toward the temple. He is having a riotous mob, and you need to get this under control. The message clearly gets through, because in verse 32, the captain of the band immediately takes soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captains and the soldiers, they left beating of Paul. Now you say, I hate reading the Bible because it's so boring. There's nothing boring about this. Here's the apostle Paul bringing offerings from Macedonia back to the persecuted Christians in Jerusalem. He is on his way to do what God has given him to do. He arrives in Jerusalem, and because Trophimus and Ephesian is traveling with him, they're already upset with him for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They assume that he's brought Trophimus in. He's polluted the temple. They all go crazy. They grab Paul. Can you see him? Literally, his clothes are being ripped off of him. He is drawn out of the temple, forcefully removed from the temple. They slam the temple doors shut. And I mean, this mob is having their way with the Apostle Paul. Down from the barracks comes the chief of the captains with the centurions and some Roman soldiers dashing down into this scene. And as soon as the people unarmed as they were, saw the approaching Roman guard, they let go of Paul and they stopped beating him and the end of their beating him would have been certain death. 
And if you went to the apostle Paul and you said to him, Paul, how lucky are you that the Roman guards came down and saved you from this death? He would say to you, luck has nothing to do with it. I specifically asked the believers in Rome to pray that I would be rescued from certain death and God answers prayer. How amazing is it that God specifically answered that prayer? I love that as the Roman guard is taking Paul back up to the barracks, he stops them on the steps and he turns and has the audacity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ again. Where does that boldness come from? Praying people, joining with him on the journey. He goes on and he says this, I want you to pray that my service would be accepted. I want you to pray in effect for success for me in my ministry. Now, what is he trying to do? Remember, the Jews and the Gentiles had ought against each other. They despised one another. The Jews in Jerusalem are being persecuted, the Christians, I'm sorry, in Jerusalem are being persecuted by the Jewish religion, the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers, and by Rome itself. And they've lost almost everything. They are incredibly poor. And so a group of believers in Macedonia and Achaia have taken up an offering. They have made a contribution. It is literally the word fellowship, and they are sending it back to Jerusalem to help those people who have nothing. And Paul is carrying this offering. He's sealed it. He wants them to get it. He wants these Jewish believers to understand the gospel has changed these Gentiles. Look at the unity we have in Christ. Look at the unity we have in the Spirit. And he is saying... Please pray that when I arrive at Jerusalem, those believing Jews would even be willing to accept this offering from the Gentile believers, and God answers that prayer. On this same journey, in Acts chapter 21 and verse 17, we read this, And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the day following, Paul went in with us unto James, and all the elders were present, And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. That is incredible that another prayer is answered. And I want to just seize upon it because it's in the language. He said, please pray that the Lord Jesus Christ would be glorified. And when they receive the offering gladly and they hear the tidings of his ministry among the Gentiles, they did not praise the apostle Paul. They glorified the Lord. It is over and again, these specific intentional prayer requests are being answered and Paul's ministry is enabled because of prayer. His third and final request to them was this. I want you to pray that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God. We have already studied out. Paul for years has wanted to go to Rome. He has already said to them, I want to go to Spain because there's people there that don't know Jesus. And so what I want to do is on my way to Spain, I want to come to Rome. You can then help me financially and prayerfully get to Spain so I can share the gospel. It was his heart's desire. And so he says to them, please pray That when I come to you, I can come to you with joy by the will of God. And it happens. It doesn't happen quite like Paul wanted or imagined it would happen. He's arrested in Jerusalem and several years later he will arrive in Rome. 
He won't arrive in Rome like a conquering, pioneering church planter. He'll be a prisoner in bonds, an ambassador for Christ in bonds, but he arrives nonetheless. And, and, and I wish I could tell you a better story about how the Roman believers actually greeted Paul. It's pretty stunning to watch what actually unfolds. He's eventually going to be a martyr for Jesus Christ there. He arrives in Rome. And as he comes in, Acts 28 tells us about it. On his way into Rome, he says, We found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days. They wanted us to say seven days. And so we went toward Rome. Now he's on his way. This is what he's longed for forever. And from thence, from Rome, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Appii Forum and the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. Paul is on his way to Rome. Remember, his specific request is pray that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God. And when he arrives, he is a prisoner. He is being ushered to Rome under guard. He makes it on the Appian Way. He makes it to a place called the Three Taverns. And there at the Three Taverns, believers have come down from Rome and they meet the Apostle Paul there. I assure you, this is not the meeting that he thought he was going to have. He'll be under house arrest in Rome and, and that's how he'll have to interact with people. But I want you to notice what he says. When he met them at the three taverns, he thanked God and took courage. He was encouraged by these believers that came down from Rome. Now it's interesting because you can still find the spot. I don't know how accurate it is where the three taverns are, where they came down to meet the Apostle Paul. And you think to yourself, what an interesting study. In this study, we have talked about Paul's girdle, and we have seen the Apostle Paul go to three taverns. What did he do at three? He wasn't Baptist, right? I mean, the girdle makes him not Baptist. Three taverns, definitely not. Let's just assume Paul wasn't like a free man going to three taverns, but there were probably some Roman soldiers that were. And the believers come and have a deep theological discussion, a Bible study outside of the taverns with the Apostle Paul. That's how it worked. I'm sure of it. Paul is taking courage from these believers. You say, you want me to believe that this is a direct answer to the Apostle's prayer. He has now made it to Rome and he is there in the will of God and has joy. Yes. Did Paul lack joy there? No. In fact, it is from this Roman imprisonment that he will write the letter to the believers in Philippi, and the theme to the book of Philippians is joy. He will use that word more than 10 times in that single letter to the believers there. He has joy and he took courage from the believers. Why? Because he was aware that a sovereign God was working his plan and that he was blessing the prayers of people who were laboring with him. You are truly never alone. In fact, when we arrive at the 33rd verse, he says, Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. What that indicates to me is those who share in the battle also share in the blessing. How can you be wholehearted? Think of Paul. Think of what he's telling us in this chapter. I made it to my finish line. Isn't that what he says? I have finished my course. I've run my race. I'm straining towards the finish line. I know the tape is right there and I haven't quit. How can you not quit when your life is one of, of battle at every turn, imprisonment, stonings, beatings, starvation, shipwreck, cold, 
destitute, peril, sword, nakedness, hunger. How can you do that? Ministry's too hard to make it all the way to the end. You can be wholehearted if you pray and people pray for you. How can you pursue holiness in a world like this? You can pursue holiness in a wholehearted way if you pray and people pray for you. What a joy of gathering together. He went without knowing the end, but he went in the safety and peace of knowing that people were praying for him. That's what he's saying. I've got to get to Spain. People don't know Jesus. I want to come to Rome. You can help me get to Spain. Right now I have to get to Jerusalem. Please, I am begging you, urgent SOS, pray for me that I would be delivered, rescued from certain death from those that don't believe in Judea. Check. That, that my ministry there in Jerusalem would be successful. They received it gladly. Check. That the Lord Jesus Christ would be glorified. And when they heard of it, they glorified the Lord. Check. And pray that I would be able to come to you in joy. And he makes it to Rome on the Appian Way. They come together and he takes courage. Check. God answers prayer. We don't pray as we should because we don't comprehend the exertion that it requires and we don't realize just how effective it actually is. But you can't get more biblical than this. Would you please bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.